Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have House, also known as Hausu, starring Kimiko Ikigami, Miki Jibino, Ai Matubara, and story by Chingumi Abayashi, screenplay by Chiaro Katsura, and directed by Nohubihiku Obayashi. Welcome back to Rise Smile Films. It's time to wrap up our Passport to Horror cast. This one's been a lot of fun. It's been wild and crazy. Uh, we've, and we've kind of tackled a little bit of each subgenre with it. We've had some vampires. We've had some zombies. We've had some body horror. And we'll kind of wrap up today's uh uh, passport with some good old-fashioned ghost-haunted consuming houses. And I seem to have lost my partner somewhere along this journey here. I don't know. Maybe he's back at the hostel back in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. No, everybody, I'm at a wedding in Washington State. So we're going via remote today. So if it sounds like I'm in a tunnel, it's kind of like I am in a tunnel. Yeah, exactly. But no, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, let's go ahead and wrap up... Uh, our little cask here with a film you haven't seen before, Matt. And I was looking forward to you coming over to, to watch this with me, but um, this was a first, uh, first dip in the, in the pool for you with this one. Well, the uh, issue is I'm terrible with schedules and I thought this was a different weekend. And as much as I wanted to come watch that with you, I forgot I had this other event that I'm going to. So yeah, this one's squarely on my shoulders. Um, I wish I would have watched it with you too, because I would have stopped this film a couple times. We would have had a couple of interesting conversations mid-view. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. This was, this was an interesting choice. Very interesting choice. Definitely, definitely. Uh, it's uh, the back of the Criterion uh, Blu-ray it sums it up really interestingly as the mm-hmm. 1977 psychedelic horror haunted house film that is a Scooby-Doo episode as if it were directed by Mario Bava. And mm. I kind of, I can kind of see that. I can kind of see the kind of, you know, little horror kind of goof elements you would find in like a Hanna-Barbera Scooby-Doo cartoon. And then Mario Bava's sensibility with especially color and just really kind of taking things over the top sometimes. But this is a different beast altogether. And I say, let's just dive headfirst uh, right in. Are you ready for that? Let's go. All right, let's dive headfirst into our review breakdown of House. Okay, so House, right right from the get-go, introduces us to our, our lead uh, main character. Uh, characters in this film have interesting names. I'm sure we'll get, we'll get to them and, and um, how it kind of describes them uh, a little bit. But our lead here is a young Japanese girl by the name of Gorgeous, and we're going to kind of follow her. She's going to kind of be our, our POV a little bit uh, with how we end up getting to the titular House. But 
her and her little cadre of friends. Oh, Matt, what did you kind of think about how they were named? You know, when you and I sit down and write, you know, we spend a good time thinking about what are we going to call this person or what are their traits? And, you know, we try and come up with these very clever ways to describe them. And um, based on how much I think we're into the character, it's a lot easier than with some of the other ones. But this film is just like, cut the bullshit. Uh, this person is Melody because mm-hmm. she uh, is very melodic and plays instruments. This mm-hmm. one is Mac because, I don't know, McDonald's because she loves to eat. Uh, mac and cheese, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> mac and cheese, there you go. Uh, <laughs> they really just kind of get to the point with that. What do you, what do you kind of think of that with um, just kind of the naming of these characters and the, the traits? Kung Fu is kind of kind of another one of those. Yeah, prop and then fantasy. Uh, honestly, it was my favorite part of the movie, um, which you know might allude to where I'm going with this. But I did think that it, like you said, it really well there. Let's cut to the bullshit. This is what this character's traits are, and let's name them after it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, and then when you build an ensemble piece, you want to have characters that are different than the others and look not only different on the page but also on the screen. And to do that, you have to really hammer their individual qualities that make them unique. And this movie really doubles, triples down on that because it gives them a singular fantasy or musical ability or intellect or uh, (laughs) consumption of food, (laughs) whatever, whatever Max was, Uh, but it doesn't matter because she's going to be gone pretty quickly. And I think it's about five, five lines in the whole film. So she just is kind of more, they should have just named her fodder. They should have, instead of Mac, they should have called her fodder. Yeah. Um, no, I loved it. I thought that that was in this movie that is so over the top and and so ridiculous at some point and done on purpose. We'll get to them. I don't. That doesn't necessarily mean negatively. I'm not saying negatively on that, but like yeah. ridiculous with the things that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like that they acknowledge. Okay, here's these characters. We're gonna, like you said, cut to the bullshit. This one's really good at kung fu, and so she's the brawn. And this one's mm-hmm. the strategist. Although I think of all the character traits, the prof might have been the least. Uh, aptly named because she's kind of a moron. But anyway, I, no, just, I thought it was great. <laughs> kind of an, she, I mean, did she think she's so so prop was so stupid, like just so dumb. Well, there, there's a kind uh, of a, there's kind of a great line later where they're like, "Prof, you look so beautiful without glasses." Yeah, she's like, "But yeah, but I can't see shit without them." So I kinda, <laughs> I kind of need them. And then when that that jar with teeth eats her glasses, she's kind of done at that point, done in. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they kind of. No, do, I thought that was. A, really good yeah yeah their names they kind of when they get to the house and everything starts going to hell they kind of use those names those traits those attributes as kind of what they're going to use to either alleviate tension or to combat these weird nefarious things in this house so um yeah and especially in kind of an ensemble i mean this is a 90 minute movie barely uh, trying to keep track of, oh, who's that again? Who's that? I think the names actually help it stick a little bit more. Like when you walk away, I think you kind of remember most of these characters. A, a sweet and maybe um, fantasy, uh, maybe yeah. don't come across as much, but some of them, yeah, I think they do a pretty good job with them. Here in this, uh, oh, go ahead. With, with Gorgeous too, mm-hmm. that's really important because I think that plays into... What I would, I'm going to argue, is a pretty good villain motif or motif in this film. Yeah. Um, so, Gorgeous being the opposite or the opposition to our <laughs> aged villainous, 
it works really, really good. And that's one thing, like two things struck me in this movie. And number one is you, whether it's the descent or a couple of other films, you tend to really like a cadre of women up against it. Yeah. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You, you actually really do kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems there's an interest there for you. And that's, I mean, that's cool. That's because, you know, that's a, that's a fun way to start into a film. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, horror for some it. reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think what it does is it sort of disarms the villain and the hero battle because most of the time what's removed from the table is the brawn in that case. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that creates some interesting conflict that plays out well on screen because you can't just punch your way through it. Like you would get with like, for lack of a better term, like Drax, you know, there's there's no Drax element in this. Mm-hmm. And that happens even though Kung Fu kind of takes that, even that's done with a, a bit of a cerebral element to it that I think that the female lead or leads or ensemble pieces tend to kind of play very well for you. Mm-hmm. Second one that I think I often like is that aged woman who's lost beauty. This is Mrs. Robinson mm-hmm. versus even to a certain extent, Norma Bates um, versus the, you know, young up and coming, still fertile. Um, she has a lot to offer that I can't. I mean, Christ, we wrote a whole screenplay on this, didn't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was yeah. the premise of that entire last screenplay that we wrote. Yep. So, yep. Um, all signs should be pointing to go at this point. Those are all pretty good starts. And I think we get going here, you know, gorgeous kind of the, the main kind of thrusting part of the, the screenplay, our inciting incident of sorts is all these people are getting ready to leave for summer vacation and, Gorgeous is really looking forward to spending time with their dad again, who's this film composer. He's better than Ennio Morricone, according to him, or Leone <laughs> prefers him to Morricone, which I thought that was kind of hilarious. Yeah. Uh, she's uh, looking forward to that, but dad's got a new uh, woman here, and I kind of like this. I kind of like the territoriality that Gorgeous has with the family dynamic that they have. Like, how dare you come in here and try and replace uh, mom, right? I mean, it, it, she sees it as a replacement instead of something that could be, you know, a friend, a stepmother. She sees it as just you're trying to replace the memories of mom. And so her motivations and intentions, I think, are very, very clear. What, what, what did you think of that when very, it's a very simple setup? Yeah, it's a great setup. Uh, I love that each one of them have these summer plans. And I also love that it's introduced with their summer plans with a tinge of schoolgirl angst, but still gentle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either gorgeous or fantasy. I'm not sure which one of them, but one of them has has it kind of schoolgirl, cutely bad for Mr. Togo. Yeah, fantasy. Yeah, yeah, it's fantasy, right? Of course, it is because she keeps fantasizing about him showing up on the literally the night on the white steed rescuing her. But <laughs> yeah, that inner cut. Yeah. <laughs> what's crazy about that, though, is for as innocent as that is. One of the things that really threw me off in the movie, and I'll get back to your question in a minute as I just go on this tangent, mm-hmm. is the directors weren't afraid to show a lot of skin from these girls in the film. Like, yeah. there's a lot of nudity in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, particularly Professor, of all people, which of all the choices, that was a weird one, wasn't it? Because mm-hmm. the one who's, you know, the most veiled by her glasses and he seems to have the least amount of appeal because she can't see without them. So they make her just look dorky, uh, is the one who's in that, in that 
bloodbath lake thing. Yeah, at the end. Mm -hmm. Naked for a long time. But to the question you asked, yeah, it's great. And that's a very consistent theme in this movie is the territoriality of women in the battle for that which they've laid claim to. Mm -hmm. Um, Good for Iniko Morricone Superior, dad. (laughs) uh, Gorgeous his dad. (laughs) Because he's locked himself down a gorgeous woman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been seven years. So that's another interesting thing, too. It's happened seven years ago is that he became a widower. And I suppose... Gorgeous has stepped in and filled whatever non-incestuous but necessary role in that relationship that the feminine might need to handle, Mm -hmm. especially in 1977 Japan. Yeah. And here comes this new challenger. I love how she's introduced uh, kind of like almost out of like some sort of classic film, like a scarf blowing in the wind with this like awning sunset. And it's all shot through like glass planes, too. So there's this like weird reflective element to it. So they really play up her beauty, right? And it's kind of otherworldly. Yeah, mystic and smoky and um, angelic, might I say? Mm, Angelic. Sure, yep. So, again, if you're going to use that term, then that plays into the afterlife and, you know, all of those things, too, that we're going to get to with the ant. But, yeah, no, um, I don't even necessarily think the dad gives gorgeous reason to worry. I mean, he still has plans of including her and Mm -hmm. she's just, again, schoolgirl petty jealousy. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's funny about that too. If that's the collective armor that the six of them have is schoolgirl, the schoolgirl chic shtick, Mm -hmm. boy, that's very, very ill-suited to take on what they're about to run into in the house, isn't it? Yeah. Very, very naive in their, in their, in their ways. Yeah. So she writes to her aunt. So she's like, well, forget this vacation with my dad and his new bride to be. I want no part of that. And she, she even goes, she's like, I hate him now. <laughs> like, So she right. writes, she writes to the aunt and was like, can I come stay with you for a bit? Come visit you. And a couple of days later, um, well, the cat comes first is this kind of thing. You're like, Oh, look at this tabby cat. It just came in through my window. Blanche. Uh, yeah. Blanche. What a name. Uh, but then she does isn't get, there, isn't there a Blanche on Bewitched or something like that? Isn't that a famous witch name from some other, um, walk of fiction somewhere? Uh, I don't know if it's Blanche. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh man. Yeah. What is, is it Bewitched? Is it, um, I think it is Bewitched. Gosh, I think it's the mother's name. Uh, it's yeah, not, right. It not, is. Yeah. That's something weird. Something, something along those lines. You're absolutely right. But yeah, this thing comes comes in. It's kind of this harbinger. It's this image that's going to keep showing up throughout uh, the film. But she does get a letter response from from the aunt saying, "Absolutely, I would love for you to to come visit." Unbeknownst to gorgeous, what she's going to be walking into, and the plots then just kind of collide, right? I mean, at this point, Mister Togo, this kind of training camp they were going to go to with all the rest of the girls. Oh, we can't go do that now. The inn's closed down for the summer because my sister's having a baby. Uh, so Gorgeous like, hey, why don't you just come with me? We, we're going to have fun and here at my aunt's house, and we'll kind of figure it out together. At what point, uh, this is a totally separate little tangent here, just maybe talking about the tone and the aesthetic. At what point in the movie here early on did you kind of maybe th- think or 
decide, hmm, this might be, this is, visually, this is going to be pretty bonkers. What what was it here early on that really kind of did that to you? I forget which of the first one of fantasies, fantasies it is, but that's when I was like, what in the hell are we doing? Yeah. Um, and if that wasn't it, then it was certainly the flashback to the letter from Gorgeous's aunt regarding the backstory on her uncle who never came home from the war, which mm. is like the made, which is the right major crisis in the film. That is the yeah. turning point of all things in this movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that shot in like three or four different colors. It went from sepia to black and white to that really beautiful rose colored at the end. Um, man, how would we, how would we write that? Cause that's, so they get on the train and they're going to the aunt's place and she's kind of laying out, you know, the history for them. And they're looking at photos, which then turns into, flashback via voiceover from the future (laughs) but they're like omnipresent like when they're talking about it uh as they're kind of going through the scenes right because max talking about oh that looks delicious (laughs) oh look how beautiful your mom looks at her wedding so this is like stylistically this is this is kind of a wild way to do a backstory i kind of like this scene as well yeah, on the page, you better have somebody that is promising you a little bit of grace and reading this uh, right out of the gate because that's at least a couple secondary slugs or screenshot to or some indication that what we're imaging on the screen is going to remain in in vocal. Yeah. But then underneath that is going to be a wide array of colors and motifs to explain the backstory. <laughs> That also has narrative, so that's voice. That's voiceover, uh, compromised with off screen, and secondary slug lines. And for those of us like, what the hell's a secondary slug line? When you start off a, a scene, you do three things, and you say interior, exterior, and that's the location of the camera. And then the next thing is where. So interior car. So the camera's inside the car, and then day or night. Mm-hmm. Well, the day or night on that is also murky because it's so colorful who the hell even knows and doesn't even matter. So is it, is it exterior wedding ceremony pink? I, who, I don't even know. The point I'm making is yeah. when this thing was written, they had to have the agreement like this is going to go off the rails. And that's sort of the point. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for traditional 120 or less pages and no secondary slugs and no rallies and no parentheticals, <laughs> this thing wouldn't have made it past the like page four, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. But to answer your question, I don't know, like, how do we write that? I don't know. Probably over days to do that whole back thing. <laughs> yeah, it was just, just, it's wild when you think about like what it is. We're watching a photograph turn into a moving picture. We're commentating over what we're seeing yeah. in the photographs, which is this backstory that's setting up the whole kind of gist of the villain, really. So um, it's 19, early 40s, uh, Japan, and um, our auntie, uh, young now, uh, has this thing with with this guy he's gonna start up a a hospital but then world war ii happens so he's kind of called away draft card to go fight in the war and just never comes back and there's thus starts uh the ants constant waiting for him to come back oh no he's gonna come back he he didn't die he's he's gonna come back and then having to see her sister get married look beautiful on her wedding day Mm-hmm. You can kind of see that jealousy starting to to take fold. Um, yeah, you're right. This kind of go ahead. I love the way that 
as you said earlier, there's a naivete and a, a youthfulness about these women that continues even through this piece. Like the way that this story is told is this fairy tale, like, um, Oh, recounting of an old family, almost like folktale, the way it's shot Mm -hmm. that, um, that plays in a really unique fashion that would be locker room kind of discussion for, or, you know, clubhouse kind of discussion for, gosh, maybe late middle school, early high school girls. Yeah. And there's this charm around it, right? Like there's this sort of wide eyed doughy wonder. Mm-hmm. And as they're going through this and she's telling the story about, Oh, here's the terrible tale of my aunt. And, you know, I think she's almost a hero because she went through this terrible tragedy and yet she's still loving and still managed to open this state or farmhouse or wherever the hell that the house is. Yeah. They have no idea, Jesse, mm-hmm. what they're celebrating, how dangerous this is going to be. Yeah. And so what I would tell you is if I, you know, we gave up all of those, if, if I gave you all of those settings or you gave me all of those settings for a horror film, man, I'd be on board. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, here's the other thing. Can I just, can I talk about the ant sort of goal for a minute so we can address yeah. this for the rest of the podcast? Yeah, go ahead. Here's the premise, guys. So <clears throat> the ant who was the aforementioned ant who was widowed and has been waiting for, or assumed widowed, and has been waiting for her husband to return from the mission in World War II that he never came home from, is in fact dead. Now I'm not totally sure how she did herself in, or if she died of natural causes. We don't. I don't think we ever get that. Or if we did, I didn't. I missed it. Died of a broken heart, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. Yeah, just tr- the tragedy did her in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this sounds like really fertile ground for why ghosts haunt. Like I like that. Yeah. Here's where it gets even better. The woman that's running the house, the guise of the ant, isn't the ant, and as far as a personification, it's the spirit. It's the ghost. Mm-hmm. And to remain relevant or to remain uh, present in the house, what she has to do is feast on the young girls in town. So back to your Mm -hmm. territoriality, that's removing all competition in case husband comes back, his wandering eye won't fall upon something who's younger and prettier. And man, I love that theme. That is Mrs. Robinson to the letter. And I love it. Almost like we have a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Like a succubus. Yeah. Exactly. Just kind we of have a ghost in a house that's a, a succubus feasting on the young girls in town as she laments her lover's demise and is angry, blah, blah. All that is great rationale for why a ghost haunts. Yeah. And then you take who you brought up, which is these little girls and their their character traits to try to take that on we have the grounds for something that could be really, really, really great. Yeah. Like the, this is a great setup. Now the execution is something that I'm going to get into for me. Mm-hmm. And it makes me kind of like scratch my head is why they made some of the choices that they did instead of just going with what they had worked so hard to build up. Um, but no, that's a, a fantastic for me. That's a fantastic horror setup for something that gives ghosts, reasons for doing what they do and we've talked about that a lot too why do these ghosts haunt we don't know well we know why in this case yeah yeah it gives us a real clear motivation i think that's yeah Yeah. one of the strengths of the film is when you break down all the crazy shenanigans we're about to get into i think that still remains constant 
through the end, which was this house that consumes this woman that's this succubus. Uh, uh, and I wish that maybe the film played on this a little bit more, which is when Mac is done in first, we'll talk about that scene mm-hmm. here coming up, the, she's able to get out of her uh, wheelchair. So it would have been nice to see as these girls are dispatched, she's kind of regaining mm-hmm. more of her youth and her strength. So by the yep. end, she's just kind of, you know, her old self again. Um, I did thought, you do, did you do, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did you do midnight mass on Netflix? I did. I, I couldn't finish it. Wow. Really? Yeah, you bailed out too slow for you. I bailed, I think three or four episodes in that Mike Flanagan, man. I, I don't get his stuff. Sometimes it's a lot of what we talk about with television, right? Which is a lot of setup and a lot of sitting around yeah. and man, that's yeah. haunting of Hill house. That was Bly Manor. Uh, Mm-hmm. So yeah, Midnight Mass. I just I couldn't do it, and I just I didn't know what that movie that show was. It was like, is this a cult? Is this a vampire? Like, what the hell's going on in this little town here, Sea Shanty Town? Yeah. So <laughs> it eventually is an unnamed vampire that's revealed, but they never officially call it that. But what you're talking about with her getting up from the wheelchair, I thought that was one of the pieces in that that they did pretty well. Okay. Um, as the priest began giving the parishioners of the congregation. The, the blood of Christ, which was vampire blood, <laughs> mm-hmm. you started to see a return to youth and health and all of these things. Um, and I thought that was really, really well done in that. Now, I totally agree with you on Mike Flanagan and the sort of weird domestic choices he makes that turn it into like family, but not in the way we like, you yeah. know, sort of. <laughs> yeah, family, but not, not, not how we like to see on screen. Cheesy family, right? But no, so bringing it up to sort of further your point. Why didn't they go further? Mm-hmm. It's out of the wheelchair. We start to see her hair turn from that silver gray back to a, like a longer color. She starts putting on lipstick or mm-hmm. moo shawl thing turns into like a little bit something more fitted. Not to, I'm not trying to vamp her or sex her up. I don't, I don't care a damn about that. But uh, yeah, no, I wish they'd gone a little bit further with that too. You know what else is kind of alludes to more of that naivete with the, with the girls too is that, so they get off this bus train uh, here uh, in the countryside and they, they just finished telling this very sad story and the present state of her aunt and this weird cat. And then they get off and then the music really, I think helps out. It kind of goes to this do 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 and it's very jovial skipping through like mm-hmm. the grass type of music. So like yeah. that accompanied with just how like blind they are to what they're walking into, I think is, is setting up like some really interesting fodder here. Uh, going forward, but let's get to the house, the titular house. I think done intentionally. um, And I know we have a conversation about this often with, you know, action sequences that kind of lose what's what and where are they at? Or I don't know what the heck this building is and which room are we in and blah, 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 blah. We talk about that a lot here in house. This house has, you know, an upstairs, a downstairs. It has a well. It has a few different rooms, a piano room, a bathroom. Uh, But it's still, I think, uh, fairly confusing on what the layout of the house is. And I think that's intentional. I think it's intentional, especially in a haunted house film. I think you can kind of get away with that a a little bit more. But it was also, it's also disarming that I can't quite pinpoint oh, they're there now, or, oh, they're here now. I think it's intentionally made to be disorienting. 
um, just the layout of the house. Yeah, I agree with you on that. When we're introduced to the ant here in her wheelchair and we kind of see the cat like right right in the lap, uh, Blanche, she, mm-hmm. through magic, anytime the cat's eyes like go into this like green strobe effect, some weird thing is going to happen. And in this first instance, this camera is going to get shattered out of fantasy's hands. Um, But I love how these girls just are like so gung-ho to okay, we're here for the, the the summer, however long they're going to stay. we got to wait for Mr. Togo to come. Uh, let's get to cleaning up and doing some chores. And they're just so happy to be cleaning. <laughs> cleaning yeah. the house is just insane. Like, yeah. I can't remember which. I, it might be sweet earlier where the, yeah. the one girl's going to go take a bath and she passes one of the, the girls in the hallway and she's, like, scrubbing the floor. And she's like, it's okay. I like cleaning. <laughs> I like cleaning. I literally on her hands and knees. On her hands and knees. I was like, like I can't think of a thing I'd rather do less than what she's doing right now. But it's like her favorite thing to do, I suppose. Uh, yeah. But they, they they work as a nice team. They're gonna cook. They're gonna. Uh, Mac has stolen a watermelon from the local watermelon salesman. They're gonna chill it in the well, which I thought was interesting. Um, but they're just setting up the domestication here uh, for, for the foreseeable future. They want to make it more homely, but it's bizarre, right? I mean, it's it's bizarre from the onset. The chandelier strobe lights uh, freaks out. It, like, it pierces a, a bug on the floor. Kung Fu kicks down a, a cabinet, and these mice pop out. Like, things are happening, but they're just like, yeah, this is just, like, bizarre. Like, what? what's happening in this house. What'd you kind of think? Is it disarming you a little bit? Is it kind of like raising an eyebrow for you? Like what's the, what's the house doing for you at this point? If you love to clean and you walk into this house, that is really mostly dirty because it's some version of the blood that's probably still splattered all over the walls. And you unabashedly go about your chores with so much vigor and enthusiasm. You're really, really setting me up as a believer in this, powerful entity to dominate these women. And so then the question becomes, how long is it going to take before you as a protagonist figure out what do I have that I can use to give myself and to the larger whole, the audience, some belief that I can put up some mount, mount some resistance to this force. And along the way, there's going to be, you know, a couple that bite the dust pretty early. Mm -hmm. But what struck me in this is, and this is going to be a problem for me for the rest of the film, is how stupid these girls are. Yeah. (laughs) When you kick down the cabinet and three mice jump out at you and one of them is on your shoulder, and I forget who it jumped on and which one of the other girls responds to it. Oh, it's so cute. And she starts petting it. And then another one jumps on you and you start petting it. (laughs) I want, it starts to, it became frustrating for me because I wanted to scream at the movie and say, why are you doing that? Why are you making these women? And I know they're naive, but naive and stupid are two different things. Naive to me is I can't quite forecast properly what the next step is going to be, even when it's right in front of my face. But I buy that off with genuineness or sincerity or sweetness or something else stupid is after that happens six times and you don't do anything. It's, it's that moment in the horror movie where 
oh my gosh, it's really dark down that basement. And we're all in the theater. Don't go down there. Don't go. And they go, they have to go anyway because the story Mm -hmm. would dictate it. Otherwise there's no story, but a little bit of that goes a long way. And these five girls, six girls stay in this space that turns from naivete to just stupidity. And I'm not saying I want them to leave. I know they can't leave because the movie would stop. That would Mm -hmm. just be the end of the film. Yeah. So I, I can't hold this movie to that standard that I don't hold any other horror movie to. Like the movie's literally over. Yeah. But you have to start trying to make some traction or find some footing on this. And other than the book that gets left behind, I guess in the attic. Yeah, the diary. In that, mm-hmm. um, huh? The di- yeah, the diary, right? Mm-hmm. It sort of like almost looks like that the bride who ever shits it out when she walks away or whatever. Um, they just they just don't ever take cause to start getting some traction on what the hell's going on. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Towards the end, you know, they start putting pieces together and kind of how to attack this thing or how to put up some sort of defenses. And maybe that would be a problem for me at the end where if they're able to kind of mount a an attack force and beat this thing and escape, but Spoiler alert at the end of this thing, no one makes it out of this thing alive. So no one, maybe yeah. your naivete and the stupidity of these girls, it does get the best of them at the end of this thing. Every mistake and folly that they make along the way, their inability to rational rationalize common sense. And I don't know, that might be an oxymoron for this film. I mean, this is a film that doesn't exist in the plane of reality. <laughs> Uh, but it kind of does them in too at the same time. So I think you bring up a a good point with that. And I think the film kind of pays that off by not letting anyone really live to see the next day at the end of this thing. Oh no. Yeah. They all pay for their, what is like ultimately stupidity. Mm -hmm. But the question then goes back to, and I think the key character in this film for me is the professor. Mm -hmm. They keep her around till I think she's third to last to go. Yeah. Maybe she's second to last to go. Maybe she's second to last to go, isn't she? Yeah, because she yeah, she gets consumed by the, the cat blood <laughs> river in the so, living room. Yeah, yeah. Right. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't so wait. Being that, she, being that she's around, when that first bit happens and the mice fly out of the cabinets that Kung Fu kicks in, or what a terrible house guest kicking in cabinets, but I guess that's Kung Fu. Uh-huh. And that bug is impaled on the floor with the piece of the chandelier you would think that her particularly would start kind of getting sort of things going. And and again, this isn't even my biggest complaint against the film. I just wish with that particular character, they had chose to like use her skill set in a little bit more effective manner than what they choose to. Cause she ends up just kind of being, I don't want to say forgotten and it's gorgeous as film. So Mm -hmm. be that, be that as it may, I think that they missed a little bit of a chance here to, have her sort of fight off the naivete of the group. And then it can even put her at odds with the rest of them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then if that happens then what happens is sweet now plays a better role because then she's the one who's trying to be kind and make every, make it up to everybody. And cause like that character sweet, when you mentioned her, I forgot she was even in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's- but I think your original question, what was my take on that? Yeah. It's off putting. And you're like, you are in the middle of an absolute disaster you got your hands full. Sure. I mean, it, it, for the purposes of, of letting the audience know this house is, is off. And I think, sure. if, I think right if you, there. yeah, I think if you come into this, come in watching this movie and you're just really trying to 100% figure out and tangi- tangibly, 
explicate everything that's going on here, I think you're going to fail. Uh, oh, yeah. Because this film, I think, is less of trying to, you know, interpret what does this mean, what does that mean, and it's more of this crazy just sensory experience that uh, Nobayashi uh, puts the audience through. Here, uh, Mac is the first uh, girl to get disposed of. Her decapitated head gets replaced with the watermelon in the well, and this thing leaps out of the well, bites the other girl in the ass. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just like, okay, here we go. We're like, we're we're getting rolling here. Then we're eating watermelon very nonchalantly, as people do, right? Just sit around chomping on watermelon and not talking mm-hmm. to each other. And the ant has like an eyeball in her mouth, and she's kind of like wryly smiling at fantasy, right? Because she was like, no one believed her that there was a decapitated head, right? Because it was be the Scooby Doo eyes in the picture. Yeah, <laughs> the guy was talking about, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're just we're just getting into it here. Uh, the next kind of three big things, which is kung fu chopping wood, and then like the wood comes to life, and she's like kind of karate chopping it outside. Um, I think is it, it's, you see this where it gets a little tricky. I think it's fantasy goes to take the bath and this weird hair grudge, uh, Ringu thing, like almost latches onto her. Did you catch that? Yeah. That was kind of gross. And then, uh, the woman auntie (laughs) goes into the refrigerator. (laughs) Yeah. And then she's on the rafters doing a jig. Oh, like Bruce Willis at the end of Last Boy Scout. I it's just weird. Yeah, the first time, and then you know, you either I think accept it and just like, yeah, just let it happen at this point. Like, it, you're not gonna. I'm still gonna be shocked. I mean, the first time I saw this, I was like, I don't know what I'm in for, but I've heard things. Uh, let me let me keep going. Let me let's 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 keep. And I I saw this in a class for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. Let's see what else you're going to throw out me. I mean, to one thing about film that is set apart even more so than books or, you know, any of those these other forms of media that, you know, film relies entirely on, on the visual. So to the director's credit to being like, yeah, if I ever wanted to see what it would look like to have a piano eat somebody, I want to find a way to do that. And we're going to like, have our audience see that. I think that's insane. It's completely crazy, but I can't think of anything else that would allow you that uh, imagination to pull off some of the things that are shown in this film as ridiculous and stupid as they might appear. um, There's a certain, uh, I want to give him some props to just like, if that was his vision or the the screenplay and how, however this was formed, uh, they make some of this stuff happen on screen. It's it's completely crazy. If you want to see a woman walk into a refrigerator and do a jig on the rafters, you're gonna get that in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and like I, I can appreciate too. I mean, because you know, then the old woman that she's like consuming the hand of Mac. She's she's there's like a dancing skeleton in there. I know. I think a lot of this is supposed to be played for for comedy more than like genuine frights. Like I don't think there's a moment in the film that's supposed to be like ghastly what, what, what do you think yeah, of that? I would agree with that um, and in, I give the credit if this was the vision that they set out for and this was the goal then you know props to them uh, what I kind of find frustrating about it is I think they really had a, a damn good idea and I wish they had just played it straight yeah 
um, you know, that's, that's not my movie. And obviously I didn't have any say in the production of it, but I love what the idea for the haunting was. And that's big for me. It's talked about it every week. I feel like what's the antagonist motivation mm-hmm. and I buy this, but honestly, dude, you brought it up and it, it, we'll talk about it now. That bit when Melody gets consumed by the piano, I, I literally almost shut the fucking movie off. I thought it was so <laughs> absurd. And that's only slightly more ridiculous than I think it's fantasy or maybe it's gorgeous looking in the mirror and watching herself burn, which that could have been awesome, except it's shot like it's fucking cartoon. Well, they're just, they're, they're employing, I think, different things. They're doing weird stop motion things. They're doing matte backgrounds. They're doing right. uh, weird dissolves into things. And I think that's the moment where gorgeous becomes, yeah, she like becomes. Is it gorgeous? Is it gorgeous? Is the one who's watching herself? Is that gorgeous or is that fantasy? Yeah, because she's at the vanity there and she kind of sees her as like, as gorgeous. her mom in, in the the wedding dress, right? That was awesome. mm -hmm. Like looking in the reflection and then the reflection turns into all of these things that are either fortune telling you what's coming or revealing what was in the past. Like that's a big, powerful moment. Yeah. And I just thought again, at that moment, you are, you're right there. This could be so excellent. And for me, it just, it just, it just kind of, it, it petered out. Yeah. I, I don't mind. Like, and you know, in regards to the auntie, do we ever even get her name? Whatever the auntie. No, name she's is. no, she's never given. Yeah, for the second Mrs. De Winter. Yeah, pretty <laughs> um, much. Yeah, yeah, kind of, huh? As she walked into the refrigerator, I actually would expect that. Mm-hmm. But you know what would be great is have her walk into a walk-in refrigerator. Yeah. And then I'm not saying that I want body pieces lined all of, but you're right there. I mean, her consumption of the young is what's sustaining her. So in each one of those kids and Melody with the piano, they could have done that in a couple different ways that didn't have the piano top chomping down on her and limbs, like 15 limbs flying out. Like the piano could consume her in a way, or even like the keys, like cause the keys became electrified mm-hmm. when she was playing it and it was shocking her. And like that part where her fingers get chomped off like that, that was great. And that's enough. But then, I love all that. They just, they go too far or he, the director goes too far in some places for me and not quite far enough in other places for me. And it's, you know, it is really, it's just, it's just preference. I think you're right. He did want to play it up for a little bit of yucks and laughs here. And, um, it kind of comes across very Scooby-Doo like, but almost Damon Wayans, like Wayans brothers like, yeah. Yeah. Like almost poking fun. And, I, I hate those movies, which I don't hate this movie. I'm not saying that I hate those Wayans brothers movies. Yeah, I, think that's I don't a think bullshit way to make a film. I don't think this is to that level though. No, no. It's, yeah. It's not I, stealing I, from everything and shitting all over it. Like weird Al Yankovic made a movie, but, um, yeah. God damn Jesse for me, they were so close so many times in the film and it just, why it is, never, why is that for ahead. you? I mean, when these films, cause you know, we kind of had that in Mandy as well, where like, we're really yeah. gonna, test the limits of our audience and lean into the weird a little bit more. Why does that kind of turn you off? Like, why does that kind of like a jumping off point for you? Cause I kind of felt like I, this was going to happen in the movie, which is why I wanted you to watch it with me. That way we could have more yeah. of a reactionary experience versus you almost turning the movie off, which is, that's not fun. Um, um yeah, I, I think for me, two genres that don't 
play well together are comedy and horror. Partly is because if I were to rank my genre preferences, horror would be at the top and comedy would be in the latter half. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a statement on just my surly attitude or, and if it is, so be it. But when you take something that to me is really profound and when it's done well, like horror can be, Mm -hmm. and then you use the other same guys to relieve tension, which in horror would be like the scream or the, like the jump. And I'm not saying I, that's all I like in horror. I like a good story around there too, but that relieving of tension is either when the blade goes in or when you jump or whatever, the wind, when whatever happens, happens that relieves that tension. And then you build it up with suspense and suspense and suspense and then pay it off with a laugh. Rarely does the laugh work for me because I'm not expecting that. And so it's like a bad punchline for a joke that wasn't ever perceived to be a joke. Mm -hmm. And then you're taking something that I really hold as important, which is horror and turning it into a joke and I end up just getting offended. And I, I, I just think to myself, why are you doing this with this film? Why didn't you just make a real film? And partly is, you know, I'm not the most, well-versed in Japanese horror. I've seen some, but I haven't seen many, many, many. And I'm certainly not familiar with the Janus production of Japanese films in the late seventies. I just, I, I don't, so I don't know if it was limits on what the production company had at the time, or if this is all done by choice and this is the way they wanted to do it. But it also speaks to why American cinema usually is best because there was a golden idea here. Besides the point of the idea, I mean, I'm just trying to trying to figure you out yeah. and why you're less, more than me more so, if we're talking about just the two people here, less likely to embrace the weird than I am. I think I can embrace it in some, in some regards. Like, Vanilla Sky is weird. Yeah, but that's, that's tame weird compared to some of this other stuff we've been watching. Yeah, if it gets too weird, then you're not, you're not telling a story anymore. You're just throwing a bunch of random bullshit up on the screen. I still, I think there's still stories taking place in Mandy and stuff, but I think it's, if it's something's taking too long to get to, or we're not getting to the point, I think that, I think that kind of disrupts your flow while watching something. Um, I'm trying to think of like other weird films that were off putting. Like I like Mandy more than I like this. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I can just say, I think it's, I think it's somewhat of a poor excuse when things go crazy. I think all rules are off and you can just do whatever the hell you want. But that's cool. I think that's a cool thing to do with film though. I mean, film allows you that canvas to, yeah, do, do whatever you want. I mean, let it get weird. We still have the through line of our story. I mean, the house is still consuming and it's going to kill off everybody. Uh, but that's your take on it. I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just no, trying no. to figure out why, I, I, I why guess, you didn't yeah, like certain take, things. Yeah. It goes too far and it takes to me what could be really, really good moments that can still be done. Cool. Like a camera, I'm sorry, camera, a piano eating someone is weird. No matter how you do it, whether the person jumps in there and the top of the piano turns into jaws and chomps them up. And then you turn into some, animated, you know, issues like it's still weird. 
Yeah. Watching a piano attack you is weird in any shape, form. The canvas, though, as you said, the canvas is an opportunity to do whatever you want. I, yeah, and it can be bad. And there are moments in this where I was just like, give me a break. What the fuck are you doing? You need to be more open. Some of it works. I want you to be more open-minded, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I would like to tell you that I'm, I'm going to be, but it's probably not going to happen at this point. I guess I, guess I would say is, um, well, I'm just know, saying, we come time. to this crossroad often on this podcast where, yeah, you start attacking something that I really like that's, you know, weird and kind of out there. And I, I just try and figure it out and just, but it's like you said, it, it all boils down to personal preference. I, th- I think it's also reflective sometimes in, in like our musical choices too. Like you tend to be a lot more pro progressive rock than me. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm just like, this is too experimental. Mm-hmm. And like, it's so experimental. Like I don't begrudge the person for trying something. Mm-hmm. It's just not my cup of tea. Like we can both get there with jazz. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's an element of that in there as well. At least it's not, you know, syncopated. But with some of that other stuff, you know, like, I mean, I would even go like crazy, crazy, deep, deep, deep into like, yes. And some of that progressive stuff. Um, I just think it's a, it's a difference in. It's a difference in taste. It's absolutely what it is. So my question for you is like, when you see that piano eating that girl, I fucking loved it. I was just, it was, it was bananas. It was bizarre. And it was at this, at this point in this film, at, at this point, what the film's given us, I accept it. I was just like, yeah, of course this would happen next. Like it doesn't, yeah. It's shocking. It's visually, it's like, I've never seen anything like that. And yeah, I just, I, I, I roll with it with what kind of like what the film's given me. Like this is that type of movie. If a eating piano shows up in like the others or paranormal activity, I'm calling bullshit. Cause that doesn't belong in, in those types of movies. Right. For sure. I like that the house, the haunted house in this, whether as ridiculous as an eating piano or getting uh, stripped and devoured by mattresses, yeah, we didn't do that one yet. Yeah. yeah. That's sweet, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of felt different than, like, what you'd get in a paranormal activity, which is the door moves two inches to the left. Like, this was, and that's not really a haunted house. That's a demonic movie, but you kind of get the idea. Or, like, Robert Wise's no. original The Haunting, like, yeah, the walls will kind of, like, pulsate and make some yeah. noise, and it's more suggestive than anything. And there's a space where that really works, too, but where the house is really going to become a thing and an entity. I think they, they really lean into that in some entirely bizarre ways, whether it's mattresses, um, a light fixture, a piano. I mean, this house just goes apeshit here in, in, in act three, it goes nuts. So let me ask you a question because as I'm trying to understand, as we have a difference in, in how this goes for somebody that, you know, is often sort of said with me, and maybe it's only in specificity to sex, less is more. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always mean that less is more. Sometimes yeah. more is more. I don't begrudge anyone for having a piano eat somebody. Like mm-hmm. if done well, I think that could be really cool. Yeah. If this movie is reeled in and plays it straight and you, I mean, you pretty much know five minutes in this movie that it's not going to play it straight. It's just, it's, it's, it is sort of fever dreamish the whole time, the whole thing. So sure. fine. Sure. 
do you dislike this film if it plays it straight? Can you still get the same payoff if it, if they play it straight? Well, I mean, it's probably it's based all in on execution. If they play it straight and wanted to make this like a legit horror film, Japanese horror film with no yucks, no ridiculousness, and a succubus woman, yeah, I think that can I think that can work. But then if you hold up both of them side by side. And are like, which one would you rather watch? I might rather watch this one because at least this, I can watch that other movie in America and Germany, wherever. I can't really get a f- too many movies like this. There's some, you know, wild American horror comedy stuff, but nothing quite like this. So I would like to see the other version. I think that I would like to see what the straight laced version of this story looks like. Um, but I'm also, I'm also okay with sitting through and watching this one too. Didn't you say they remade this straight as an American film with someone in it? Uh, no, that, that, that might have been a different movie we were talking about. Because I know there is there is an American house with uh, oh, William yeah. Cat, yeah, the William, guy the greatest American superhero. Yeah, yeah. William Cat, yeah, house, and then House Two, the second story. I don't think <laughs> they're not related. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> House Two, the second. Story. Yeah, that's a bad. That's a bad movie. Yes, it is. Yeah. But yeah, we have the consume. Right. We have the consuming. At this point, uh, this is where Gorgeous kind of reveals the plan of yeah, my grandmother or my aunt died a long time ago. She consumes these people, and then this allows her to wear her wedding dress, and just, everything just goes bananas. The, the the house literally locks them in at this point. All the windows, everything's shuttered up. Um. Yeah, we see Gorgeous's face and the lips and everything, and we're like, "What? Well, gosh, what do you, what do you do?" Now, what do you think the uh, the cat the cat the cat it kind of represents kind of like the supreme power here? With so when they're able to take out that that painting and that portrait, yeah. the cat dies, and yeah, she like over dies. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. They filled the whole thing. So, what's the kind of the cat's presence in this film? Like, what do you kind of see that as? I guess it's the familiar, right? I mean, the, the witch is familiar. Yeah, what's um, the line they kept using is uh, a good cat will can open a, open a witch cat will close it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Good cat can open any door, but only a witch's cat can close the door or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I think that that makes, uh, of all the things that were far, 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 far in excess, I thought having this wicked cat was, was pretty frightening actually because the way the girls embrace the cat, like this cute little pet will just take for a ride was, was a bit troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes you wonder if at some point did deceased husband give auntie the cat as a gift. Mm, yeah. See that like, and again, that doesn't have pr- probably maybe something to think about. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's kind of what I'm getting at for me. If you want to have, like this, this tale of love and loss, I guess, essentially. And you're going to go so far as to have some of these wild visual sequences that we had, at least take the time to give us a hint at why this cat matters so much. Unless you just want me to go, well, witches always have cats and then, okay, fine. But again, it's just like, it was right there. Uh, and maybe that's too on the nose and maybe it wouldn't have solved it, but it was right there. All you had to do was just right there. It was, it was right there. Um, but I like that. It's also white. Cause that's, that's pretty unfamiliar, right? We're kind of white and very like, uh, furry, I guess furry. It's, it's not slick at all. It's kind of hairball-y like looking. It just looks sort of feral and, mm-hmm. and wild. And you brought up something I think was the most terrifying point in the whole film for me. Something's always bothered me about 
the person who's not supposed to be in the wedding dress dressed in it and that slow turn to the reveal. Yeah. Even when they're not shown in a ghastly manner, they just look ghastly. Yeah, so almost like a go- almost like a ghost, yeah. You know, the natural, which is not a scary movie at all. Well, mm-hmm. some some pieces of it are very very terrifying, but um <laughs> not not only good. <laughs> when Barbara Hershey drops that veil yeah. and then shoots Roy Hobbs, mm-hmm. that fucking scene is terrifying. Yeah. There's something about the veiled woman and the reveal or the, um, the hiding with that, that man has always, has always troubled me. And when we go up there and gorgeous is in the dress and kind of turns, Oh, it is on man. Look out. You know, obviously you know, you're in trouble at this point anyway, as someone who's in the audience, mm-hmm. but that mo- that part to me with that kind of red lipstick, which is set up really well earlier at the vanity because she's putting on the lipstick and that's sort of what incites the vill- the visions and the burning of her own picture and reflection. Like it's all set up really, really well that way. But that part to me, oh my God, I was like, look out, look out. And that's always been a horror trope mm-hmm. that I've admired. I just think that, that that part works really, really well. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, that looks great. And then even when Gorgeous has the, the wedding dress on and she's walking very trance like through the house that now has a hold of her. Even that was pretty, that was pretty effective too. Yeah. But yeah, all these girls are all disposed of through um, the, the cat blood water or through gorgeous or through a lamp fixture, the piano, the mattresses. Um, they're all gone at this point. And we kind of get this kind of last parting shot of gorgeous, but something else has kind of been in play here for um the her father which was his new fiance is like i'm gonna go try let me try on my own i will go visit them at the aunt's house and let me see if i can get through to her it's kind of like this last ditch effort to kind of get her on her side and again they they play just how angelic that uh new stepmother in quotes is is with just like walking through the countryside and it's very disarming and we're kind of letting our guard down a bit and we're we just she doesn't know what she's walking into which is gorgeous the lone final girl final witch now uh that's just gonna kind of she's gonna become a victim of this house too how how do you think the the film wraps this all up for us i was really troubled because there's a line that she says in there to the new stepmother which is something like they'll wake up when they're hungry Mm mm-hmm what the fuck are they all coming back? You're going to have a whole coven of semi devoured witches that return. Like that's that's, what's going on here. That have to devour the virgins of the town. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, um, I actually liked the end and again, I think that was set up really well with the jealousy or resentment that gorgeous had towards the, her new stepmom. You know, she's going to make that bitch pay. And, the stepmom is going with pretty good intention. And so I think that gets to another one of the tropes in the film that for me was right there. And it was petty angst, mm-hmm. which is the only reason that gorgeous has, or, or jealousy, I guess, petty, petty, jealousy, angst, jealousy, that gorgeous has an issue with her new stepmom. Cause I would argue the new stepmom seems to be a pretty solid individual she's going out to this house to try to see what's wrong with her new stepdaughter. And that's after the dad says, I better go check up on them. 
She said, no, no, let me do it. This is how I need to prove myself to her. So just with that little bit of, we, of character reveal we have, I would say that tends to lean on the side of a pretty positive individual. So mm-hmm. to take that person and send them out there and then throw them into the jaws of the lion, we've made this whole case the whole time. Well, maybe this teenage angst and this, this schoolgirl sort of belief at the world, look at the world, isn't enough to quell the advances of this terrible, terrible force. Well, shoot, maybe maturity is maybe maturity and loyalty aren't either, Jesse, because mm-hmm. I think the stepmom both ha- has both of those compared to the girls, and she's not going to have a better faith than they had either. Yeah, and Gorgeous just essentially self-combusts her, right? As she just burns up into flames. So I guess and, this is this this is Gorgeous's I guess role now. I mean, she's kind of become the aunt. So yeah, she's going to yeah. be be some lonely spinster up here on the on the hillside, I guess. And I love that. I love that when I guess the villain wins because mm-hmm. we don't often get that. So, I mean, it wasn't so much that, and, you know, I, I told Denise before he got the show, I said, this is going to be one of the ones that me and Jesse have a different opinion on. Um, and me saying, you know, this probably wasn't my cup of tea is not to shit on your preference in film, like whatever you want, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, it was like, and again, it's right there. It's right there. It was just frustrating to me that there were some moments, like truly great cerebral moments of, oh my God, that is loaded. Do you realize what you're doing here? That is loaded. The other thing too that I had a lot of questions about, and and you've seen this more than I, the watermelon that's stolen from the townie merchant, Mm -hmm. who's that guy? Is he some warlock? Because like he he ends up kind of like evaporating later in the film also. Yeah, and he turns Togo into like a bundle of bananas. (laughs) Bananas, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some witchcraftery after, going on there too, yep. And that's after Togo earlier in the film fell in a bucket and slid around the street for 20 seconds. Yeah. That was fucking weird too. What was that all about? But anyway. It, it, um, it, it's everywhere. When he stops off the little noodle shack, there's a talking bear in a kimono. Yeah. I mean, like, it's yeah. just, this, yeah. it's, it's, it's the movie. I mean, it's just that anywhere you look, there's something that's just like, this ain't reality, man. This is... This is a bizarre fever dream, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, calling it a psychedelic horror film, I think, is the appropriate definition of it. Yeah, those, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, um, go ahead. I forget what you even asked me. Did I didn't even answer your question. What did you even ask me? Did I, how do I feel about that? What did I think about? It? I, I thought the ending was great. Yeah. What did you think about the ending? I know you like sort of open endings, so you had to love this. No, it reminded me a lot of like more recently something like Midsommar, where. You know, mm-hmm. your final girl, your last character left standing kind of gets consumed by the environment and the world that they got thrust into. And you're right, at the end, evil does win. And it's kind of, and they seem happy about it. They don't seem sad about it. Both of those films are similar in that regard where they're like kind of content where things have brought them as horrific and how much carnage has been laid at the waist of, of these people gorgeous kind of smiles at the end of this movie as, as she's kind of her hair's wisping in the wind with this scarf around her neck. I mean, it's, it's kind of great. I, you kind of get like, yeah, maybe this, maybe she'll be happy in here vamping and, and killing all the virgins. in town. Okay. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great example. Let, let's, let's go do Midsommar for just one second here. Go, go ahead. Would you say 
that that's a weird movie. Which one, Midsommar? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Ari Aster, yeah, he, he leans into the, the weird and cerebral a whole lot more. And his stuff, I think, maybe more so than House, is, again, very mm-hmm. comedic, core service level. Aster's stuff gets into, like, the psychological, mental state of the audience and the characters. And that's a whole mm-hmm. other level of weird that I also love to dabble in. So I love the comedic weird. I love the psychological weird. I love the Lynchian weird. Yep. I love, I love, there's two t- types of movies that I, I really love. I love, you know, that whiplash ending. Oh my God, what a great ending, right? We leave the theater yep. on a high note. I love leaving the theater kind of knowing, God, I don't know what the heck was going on in that last 20 minutes, but man, I'm ready to go back with my pen and paper. I don't really use a pen and paper. <laughs> Try and figure out like, what do I think of what was going on there? Like, like what is that supposed to mean? Or am I just supposed to just like get in, enveloped in the weirdness? And I'm okay with doing that too. So uh, yeah, I think Midsommar, yeah, I think the, the way that the films end particularly, yeah, they're very similar to this one. Because I would agree with you. I think that's a weird film, too. Yeah. And that film's not off-putting, and I, I hold that film in very high regard. Yeah. I think that film's off-putting in a, from a different perspective, from a, a hor- horrific things you're witnessing type of off-putting. Like, that's not a movie you're going to put on, like, the week of Christmas, right? That's going to depress the shit out of everybody. But that is right. a movie you could put on to, like, really get your skin crawling, so... I think also one of the things I keep going back to the question you asked me earlier and what is it that, that is off putting about weird and, and like this regard to me, I think just by production mm-hmm. foreign films, because they're not as familiar to us as American films are can play a little bit weird mm-hmm. and it's only weird in that you're just not familiar with what their techniques in making a film are of the country X or Y. Like Jules and Jim, yeah, isn't really a weird film, but it kind of is a weird film. Well, yeah, yeah, just the five hundred blows the, isn't a weird film, but it sort of is a weird film. La Jete is a weird fucking film, but it's not. Well, that, saying, so, that movie's only still photography. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird fucking movie. Yeah, uh, no, I think they just the, their styles and their sensibilities of how they get a movie from start to finish are different than how we do it here. I mean, that's. That's the difference. Like we, for the most part, like to wrap our films up with nicely, you know, primped bows and we leave the theater, you know, feeling jovial. Like when we saw Jaws a few weeks back, like, you know, we, you leave yeah. and you're like, yeah, man, we blew up a shark. Yeah, that was great. It's a great ride. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of just been my foray into foreign cinema, whether it's like The Wages of Fear or, you know, something, anything that, like, Kurosawa's really done, or Yosujiro Ozu. A lot of those films, they don't end like that. They end with a lot more questions, a lot more uncertainty, and I think those countries, they just kind of accept the, the, that kind of open-endedness uh, with their yeah. films. I think you. I think that's why they call it a Hollywood ending, right? Uh, they, they, right. They call that in, in sports, too. Like, man, you couldn't write an ending better than this scenario. It's very much germane to, I think, Hollywood films. So, yeah, you have the, the just the, the country gap is making this a weird movie, too, on top of all the stuff in it. So, yeah. Excellent, excellent. 
Well, let's wrap this up with a couple questions. Uh, what was your favorite tasting note? Or we've been doing favorite kill of house, houseu. Uh, the one that I thought was really, really interesting, and we didn't spend much time talking about it, the, the kills, even though I don't like the way they show on screen, I can't say any of the kills are bad. Yeah. Um, the idea on, on what does them in, with maybe the exception of the professor who kind of just drowns in blood, but at that point, all hell's broken loose, and it's kind of just getting down to our last girl, if you will, anyway. Yeah. Uh, I thought the one that could have played really well that I think was a little bit misplaced was Sweet. If fantasy was the one all the time that was fantasizing about Mr. Togo, then I think she might have been the one to get wiped out by the mattresses for obvious reasons. But what I like about that is it's, again, that the the, the reason that I like that they didn't do it also with her is there is that sort of, and I think it's a conscious decision with Sweet in particular, missed reference mm-hmm. to blatant sex. And so the fact that sweet gets done in, in that way, which I've never seen anybody get crushed and devoured and stripped. Cause that's loaded too. Yeah. By mattresses and pillows. Yeah. Should fall in line with what happened to fantasy and how we've seen her with Mr. Togo and these visions of chivalry, her whole entire existence mm-hmm. in the film, mostly. Mm hmm. But the fact that Sweet got done in like that, man, I really found myself thinking about that one a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, it's, that's still a crazy kill, don't get me wrong. That's, that's, that's a crazy way to die. Yeah. But that's sort of the least explained out of all of them other than Next and Max, and we don't really see what happened to her, so I guess that's, that's not entirely true. But I, I thought that was a really, really interesting way to go. And you know what that scene reminded me of in particular was the hunger a little bit. Mm-hmm at the end when all of the um, dead come back to take care of uh, Catherine Deneuve. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm going to go with that one. I think good choice. Or the, 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 that moment with fantasy too, where she's imagining in like a very Hollywood like production of this guy on the steed coming to rescue her and <laughs> the, yeah. the knight in shining armor kind of reminded me of like Monty Python and like the Holy grail. Just like, and that's kind yeah. of another type of film that really plays fast and loose with reality and like the police show up to arrest them at the end of that thing. Like that, that movie gets nuts too. That, that, but I thought that was kind of just a, just a nice intercut. Like we didn't have to divulge for five minutes on this weird like dissection. It was just like her fantasy, right? It was her daydreaming. It, it fit her character that she would have these visions. Yep. Um, I am going to pick, I'm actually going to pick Kung Fu's uh, demise by lamp. Uh, fixture because <laughs> uh, I think yeah it completely lops her legs off but I kind of like that little trippy moment where like her head's floating and then she's like just kind of watching body parts of all her friends just kind of floating around her but mm-hmm. her final decapitated leg kick to destroy the painting that kills Blanche was kind of the icing on top of the cake for me but yeah to me she was my favorite character she seemed the most proactive of like I'll yeah. go investigate I'll kick this freaking door down and at the end, I mean, it was her, her own doing. Like, the kung fu, like, kind of did her in. All her fancy moves ended up getting her stuck in that light fixture. Yeah, that was my favorite character, too. All righty. What is the... Oh my God! ...moment of Haosu? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, I mentioned the 
the wedding gown bit. That's one that really in this movie that sticks out in my mind of all the things that are in the filming. It's fun that that's what sticks out in my mind, right? There's plenty of visual things to latch onto. Mm -hmm. But then also close second or maybe tied is the recollection of the story of Auntie and her journey to widowdom. Mm -hmm. And that just that, that rose tone that, that I think it's the third piece, the third intercut in that flashback that we get is, was just so just felt like lush. And um, I thought that was a really, really interesting and cool way to shoot that bit. It wasn't any of the kills. Yeah. It'd be either that it's one of those two moments. I don't know. That's probably a strange choice and maybe speaks to, you know, what worked and what didn't in this film for me. But yeah, I think me, I don't know. One of those two, one of those two, I'll go with the bride thing just because that's always been something that I'm fascinated by. But that other one is a very close second. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I'll pick the all consuming grand piano. When I was watching this, yeah. I was like, gosh, I'd, I'd kind of like to have a piano in my house just to kind of just jump on whenever I felt like it. But yeah, this thing as it chomps the fingers and then the legs and then eats and leaves nothing left. Uh, it was the one thing the first time I saw it in that class all those years ago. Uh, yeah, it was, I never forgot that. It was just like, you're walking away from a movie uh, and yeah, you're, you're just, you had that image like stuck in your head. This thing just chomping up on her. Mm-hmm. Who's the master distiller on house? I think it's actually Kung Fu just because that's not acting. That's her really being able to do that. Now some of it's the camera work and how they shoot it, but she really is moving like that. Uh, and that's something that I really admire being able to sort of move that way and make it look believable. Cause we talked about this before. One thing is that actors are not often good at acting is sports roles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is probably my choice for master distiller set close second would be like cinematographer and choice for the way the colors of this film played. Mm -hmm. I don't know who that is. And the name, I'm not going to make you look it up. Cause yeah. it's difficult, but that's, that's probably my close second, but I'll pick that up. Cause Which, yeah, I think mine is, I think the person that has, you know, a lot to do with how this thing's getting across the finish line. I, I'll pick the director, Nubihiku Obayashi. Uh, if this was his vision, if this was his intent, if he had a dream, uh, or a nightmare. And was just like, gosh, I got to wonder what that would look like in a movie. And to, to his credit, I mean, he did write this screenplay and probably kind of a lot of the stuff you brought up, like this sat on Toho shelves for a few years. And then they did something that I've never really heard of before. They started like promoting it without a movie. They um, did, hang on, let me pull it up real quick. They released a Japanese manga comic of the the movie. They released a novelization of the script, and then they did a radio drama of it. And then Toho was like, okay, let's make it a movie now. So kind of mm. testing the waters to kind of see if people would be inter interested in this. I had never heard of that, that type of method before. Mm. But, Interesting. Yeah, I got to give it to him. I mean, his filmography isn't the, like the most amazing, but uh, I, I got to I got to respect this guy's vision of, and if he wanted to make weird, I mean, this he certainly accomplished that with House. How are you gonna rate and grade this movie? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Where are you going with this one? 
Uh, it's well, but it's actually not far away from being close to single barrel. Uh, per ratings, that's a couple of different levels. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the idea was really solid. And I thought what I would have wanted and what my preference would have been suited were there. Uh, it's just that some of the choices and how it ends up being done with the comedic flair plays amateurishly to me. And I will say this, and I mean this as, as a token of credit to the film. It's been a while since I've been as frustrated by a movie as this was. And, and I don't mean in a, in a way like, oh, like, I mean like, oh my God, you're right there. You're right there. And it just, and not always, it didn't always do that. And actually, maybe that's even a little too low. Maybe it's, maybe it's like call minus. Um, this wasn't far from being a really, really amazing film for me. But so much of what delineates preference in film is execution. Mm-hmm. And it can look really good on the paper and it can be a stinker or it can look really good on screen and have been a stinker on paper. So, I mean, that's all in the execution. Yeah. And, um, I don't know that the, the attempts at comedy, if that's in fact what they try to do, uh, and that's, that would also something I'd, I'd kind of like to look into is see some accounting of this movie, like honest filmmaking discussion with the director of this film on, on what he went for and if it played or not. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go call minus just because it was really, 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 really great in the space that I get why the character that's the ghost did what they did. Mm -hmm. I I totally buy that. And I also love the idea in youth and beauty and all of the other things that kind of play with a lot of the characters that visit the house. Um, But it it just, it, it didn't, it didn't get all the way there for me. Let me ask you this. If this was ever just on, would you ever sit down and watch this again? Um, probably not. That's kind of my, my mantra of the films I end up picking and showing you for the first time. It was like, yeah, I'm never going to watch that again. That was zombie last week. And, uh, uh, Mandy, I believe you said that as well. You know, with, with wreck though, that was a great film, but, I don't know if I'd want to watch that one again. Which one? Did you say wreck? Did you hear me? Yeah. Did you say wreck the found footage? Yeah. Yeah. The wreck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just, yeah. Not wanting to watch it cause it's too spooky. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go single barrel on this one. This is, you know, if you're looking for something unique that you've never seen before, we've all seen haunted house, you know, succubus entity movies and stuff, but there's, I don't think there's ever been one done quite like this. So it definitely has that uniqueness to it. Of course, all the comedy, whether it's slapsticky or over the top comedy's more subjective than any, you know, filmic emotion, uh, of all of them, you know, what I think is funny is definitely not going to be what, what you think is funny and vice versa. So, uh, no, I think Gobayashi made, you know, he just, he stuck to his guns and wanted to lean into the weird and had some good elements in there in the story there. And, you know, the, the, those story things that used to really kind of, I wanted to see more complete stories, you know, years ago. And 
now I really just like, I just like seeing, man, you just, this guy got to make a movie. I mean, that's awesome. Like if this was the only movie he got to make, at least he got to do it. The other day I yeah. put on a movie, uh, it was called, uh, it's a Jaws ripoff. It's called Cruel Jaws. Um, mm. Super low budget with the worst cadre of actors imaginable. And the only way a movie like that gets made is someone has a lot of money to spend and they want to make a movie and they, they went out and did it. So yeah, it's shitty, but like they went out and, and set their sights and accomplished their goal. So there's something pretty cool about that. Um, so yeah. Uh, I was shocked by this film. The first time I saw it, I like it enough to own it. I'll be watching it a few more times before, uh, before I pass on, hopefully not consumed by some house. (laughs) Is this guy, is this his only film? No, he's he's made some things, but I don't think he, nothing with the recognition that at least this film has in cult circles, so. Okay. Well, excellent, excellent. Well, that's the end of Passport to Horror. We will return to the States and get back to um, some more spooks here. So, Matt, I'm actually going to surprise you with something here because uh, we haven't had time to talk about this, but, you know, October's almost upon us. Uh, we got our fearsome four up on the horizon that we'll be getting to to close out Spooky Month. But ju- I was looking at the calendar and just looking at the scheduling of things, and we have two weeks of free space to yeah. occupy. So this is my pitch to you uh, okay. of what we can do, and we're going to call this Dealer's Choice Horror Edition. <laughs> Okay. So if yeah, if today wasn't enough of you, know, let me see if I can pick a movie that Matt is gonna absolutely hate. Uh, maybe we can no, double. Di- no, no, no. I'm just I'm I'm just I'm messing with you at this point. Okay. Uh, so dealer's choice. So here's the rules, Matt. You can pick right. any decade, any subgenre, any country. This is an entirely wild card choice for you to pick anything in the horror genre. So mm. it can be sci-fi horror, it can be body horror, it can be vampires, it can be literally anything you want. It can be a silent film, it can be something that came out this year. Um, it's entirely up to you. Mm. So since you haven't had time to think about that, because I'm surprising you with that, does that sound good? Do you want you want to do that? Anything I want, any horror thing I want goes. Anything you want goes. So to give you time to to think about it, I'll go ahead and pick next week's film. Uh, and you know, you did allude to this film a few weeks back of you kind of briefly said, wow, we haven't talked about that one. And we haven't talked about this thing in its entirety. And this film is comedic horror, but I think it, 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 it walks the fine line of not being so ridiculous and really tries to make it germane to the story and the characters Matt, we're going to talk about one of my top 25 favorite films of all time. It's time to do it. An American Werewolf in London. This is one we've been talking about, and I know you want to do for some time, so Mm -hmm. this will be fun. And I already know what our nightcap's going to be. Um, We'll kind of double dip in here. And how about this for our nightcap? We'll just be uh, a brief little 15-minute dissection on Thriller. How does that sound? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. 
Yeah, so we'll watch the movie. You should come over and watch it with me, and then we'll watch Thriller, and then, yeah, because John Landis, Rick Baker, and Michael, that like that whole werewolf in London into Thriller is so kind of a part of each other, in my opinion. Okay. Excellent. So you got a week to think about your pick. Um, can't wait to, to see whether it's a favorite or something you just really want to talk about, but um, I think this could be a lot of fun, and we get to talk about werewolves for the first time. I can't believe we've never crossed that bridge before. We've going to talk about uh, lots of interesting ideas and certainly special effects is going to play next week. So that's going to be awesome. Excellent. Good choice. Excellent. Excellent. Well, to all of you, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Passport to Horror. Uh, join us next week, checking out American Werewolf in London. If you want to see House, um, I guess this is the other cool thing about it. I mean, it's on HBO Max. I mean, this is a service that people are regularly subscribing to. Like, you're not going to find a weird thing like this on Netflix. So, um, no. to HBO Max just being easily, I think, has become my favorite streaming service for movies. It's uh, television output. Um I look forward to the first of every month to see what oh what new movies did they put on there this month and yeah I'm looking forward to October first I think they'll have some good st- good content on there. Excellent. But excellent everybody uh, we got to get going I got to get going I got to go visit my aunt's house I hope I'm not consumed by a piano uh, in my circumstances I'd probably be consumed by some sort of saxophone with just like the saxophone bell would like eat my head or something. <laughs> hey if there's a will there's a way Matt we could make that happen. I'd like to make sure that it's Chicago then that consumes you if we're going to go down that road. Excellent, excellent. R.I.P. Terry Kath, great guitarist. (laughs) Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. House is property of Toho, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Come on.